0: don't think I can't see what you're doing. What? You're saying I can't take it. But all I... Uh, you're saying I'm soft. You think your little have fun inside challenge is going to make me come camping with you. But that is never going to happen. There's no way I'm going to sit out here all night with you two losers. So get used to it. OK. Have fun inside. That's it, I'm in. I'll show you, cabbing! ladies, And welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your host, Captain Eric, and it is a pleasure to welcome you aboard to another fantastic episode. Uh, I do want to apologize on the lateness of this episode. I have... Had a bit of a rocky week here, and I will certainly get into that. But in the meantime, I just want to plug both of my social medias because I was able to get a message out in time to the ready crew out there that the episode would be late. So if you are a fan of the show or you're jumping on board for the very first time, And I'd like you to know of my social media. It's where you can get a hold of Captain Eric the quickest and also be told of any updates regarding the show or This Week in Nickelodeon History or any uploads I have coming out. But you can reach me on Twitter at I'mReadyPodcast and on Instagram at SpongebobPodcast. I usually plug those at the end of the episode. But I figured why not plug it here in the beginning, too, just for prosperity's sake. And and in the meantime, while we're also plugging socials and way to contact Captain Eric, I also want you to know that if you ever have a question for the show or a question for Captain Eric, anything SpongeBob-related, Nickelodeon-related, I have two different emails that you can send in questions to, to both respective shows. The first email is for I'm ready a SpongePod Squarecast and anything related to SpongeBob. If you ever have a question or concern, anything for the show, you can send it in to spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. That's spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. And I actually have a question for the snail Mail Bag that came in. I'll read uh, later on after I cover the camping episode for today's SpongeBob episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, And if you are a fan of this week in Nickelodeon history, uh, you can literally just email me at nickelodeonhistory at gmail.com if you ever have any general Nickelodeon questions, or if you have any specific anniversaries you'd like me to cover on that show, um, I, I will do so. That's what I'm here for. And I really, truly appreciate each and every one of you who tune in week in, week out, to, to check out whatever I'm putting out as Captain Eric. As far as this past week is concerned and and to explain a little bit of the delay, I know I don't need to. I, I know that. I'm I'm well aware, but I strive on on always being open and honest as the captain here and be transparent. And I'd like to open up a little bit to you guys because it it does connect to our SpongeBob episode that I'm covering today. Um, possibly my favorite SpongeBob episode of all time. That, that, is, I don't know if I'm ever ready to put that set in stone, but I might be close to it. Um, this past week, uh, the night actually that I was going to record this episode, I was um, given the unfortunate news of the passing of a, a very close childhood friend of mine, uh, a man by the name of John. And um, it's, it's crazy because. This episode and the time that it premiered is smack dab right when John and I were the closest in our lives to one another was, you know, early teenage years. Um, And and of course, watching Spongebob was something that we did. So it's not really a question as to if, but um, of when we first watched the camping episode with one another because it, it did happen. Um I, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart to any of John's family out there, uh, my my sincerest condolences over over this time. but, you know, whereas a lot of people rightfully so feel sad and emotional when it comes to loss, um from a very early age, the the one thing that that I always was able to find when it came to loss was, the comfort of the memories I have with people and being able to appreciate the the fact that I have those in the first place, you know? That's the first thing when I hear about of, of a passing of a friend, of a family member, it's just, right now, think of all of the good memories you remember of that person and then just consider yourself blessed that you have the number that you do, you know? Even sometimes when it's one, it, it's blessed... To have one interaction with someone, it's better than having zero interactions with them. And and I trust me, I've had situations like that where I had friends in high school that I got to have conversations with, and then the next week they were just gone unexpectedly. Uh, but but this one this one hurt in a in a different way because it was such a strong bond at the time. Um, but without going on any unrelated SpongeBob stories about John. Um, I do want to leave you with one piece of information. If I could share one thing about John with you, the Ready crew, and and just to give you an idea and the kind of person he was, it's that at the time, one of the things that John and I bonded over and that we enjoyed doing with one another was skateboarding. Skateboarding was was really uh, important in my life. The skateboarding culture... Everything that surrounded it, the companies, the, the borders themselves, the brands. I, I, I was a sponge for skateboarding and the knowledge that came along with it. And here's the thing. Even with all of this love of skateboarding and being able to ride a skateboard almost better than anyone else that I knew, I couldn't really do any tricks on a skateboard um, to this day. I, I know how to ollie. I can tell my mind, I can, like, my mind can tell my body how to do it. Hey, pal, here's what you're supposed to do. But I've never been able to pull off an ollie on a skateboard. And in my town, there was a very big, close-knit group of skateboarders who, let's just say, they weren't necessarily the nicest to someone they perceived as an outsider. Although, I just wanted to be involved, and learn um, but there were a lot of people who just you know took that knowledge of not being able to do what is known as just the simplest skateboarding move and and used that ammunition but John who was a, a decent skateboarder in his own right always had my back about that always made sure I was involved in these these group get-togethers behind uh, our skate local skateboarding shop they had a, a, a bowl that was built in, that they would go you know back and, and skate in and John would make sure I, I would get to go back there and and you know made sure he had my back if anyone ever you know got on my case over over my abilities. and um, and you know there's moments like that and, and moments of playing games and the sleepovers and any of the other stories I can come up with, those are absolute gifts that were given to me that I didn't expect, those core memories as, as we've called them. But yeah, those those core memories are gifts that we get to hold on to for the rest of our lives. They're free of charge. You never expect them. But it's just a simple moment that happens in your life that you'll just cherish. And um and any like I said, any time that I've had to deal with loss, of course there is is sadness and emotion that comes along with that. And 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 trust me, I I will deal with that on my own. But man, do I smile and, and, and laugh and think about as many of the good times as I can when it comes to uh, the, losing somebody? So uh, rest in peace, John. I love you. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for everything. And And like I mentioned, this this was friendship that was happening right when this episode premiered right in 2004. 13, 14, 15 were around the years that John and I were, were at our closest. And you talk about a a big day in Nickelodeon history here on the premiere of the camping episode, which premiered all the way back on April 3rd, 2004. But this episode premiered right before the 2004 Kids' Choice Awards, which then had a big premiere of its own after the show, because right after the Kids' Choice Awards at 9.40 p.m., we had the Nickelodeon premiere of one of my favorite Nicktoons, probably my second favorite behind Spongebob, Danny Phantom. I I don't know about you. I don't know if it was fate or anything, but just thinking the, on the fact that one of my favorite, if not my favorite Spongebob episode, premiered in the same time frame as my second favorite Nicktoon, it just blows my mind. It might have been something in the water that night. That worked out. Because if I'm not mistaken, the 2004 Kids' Choice Awards was also the episode that featured the very first piece of promotional material for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie that was premiering later on that November. I, I remember watching this Kids' Choice Awards, seeing that little animated bit and and having the the life preserver come up on the sand, the Spongebob SquarePants movie coming in November. I, I had the date on the calendar circled in my home. Just like Squidward has a date circled on his calendar. Look at all the similarities I'm making here. I I knew I wasn't gonna go off on many tangents for this episode, but um I had that date circled and I literally had a, a countdown of the amount of days until the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. I, it was it was a big deal. So just seeing in this in this 2 to 3 hour time frame, the amount of important core memory moments in my life, it's it's incredible. I, I I can't speak beyond that. And then uh and then I look at what premiered after Danny Phantom and Boy, it's time for us to move on. But in regards to the camping episode, even though this premiered on April 3rd, 2004, it in fact first premiered all the way back on November 13th, 2002, in our neighbors to the north, Canada. They got this almost two years earlier, and then it premiered in the UK and Ireland on April 26, 2003, in Australia on July 16th, 2003, before then finally making its American debut on April 3rd, 2004. It is the second half of the 57th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. And it was written by Jay Lender, Sam Henderson, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artist for this episode is Caleb Muner. Our storyboard directors are Jay Lender and Dan Pavameyer. Our animation director is Sean Dempsey. And our creative director is Derek Tryman. Here's something that's very interesting for me. I I don't know if it's going to be the same for you. But um, this is actually a little bit of an exclusive for the podcast. Um, I've mentioned from the beginning of the show, my intentions of, of eventually covering and profiling, interviewing members of the SpongeBob crew. And, and those plans are still ongoing and happening as we speak, but I do have a bit of, of news to bring up when it comes to this episode. And when it comes to some of those terms that we see like writing and storyboard directing and, and, you know, everything involved, I originally wrote a tweet. About this episode and the the recording of this episode, giving credit to Jay Lender, who is one of my favorite writers in SpongeBob history, one of my favorite contributors of the show, and the writers of the show, as listed, Sam Henderson and Meriwether Williams. Jay had reached out to me to let me know that he had no memory of Sam working on this episode and that it was primarily him and Dan Pavameyer who worked on this episode, and they are listed as the storyboard directors. Now, in, in furthering the information about this, uh, Jay did bring up the possibility that Sam could have written the premise of the episode, or that it's also an error, which unfortunately can happen on a show where there's just a lot of moving parts, and sometimes there are those who get credit that shouldn't, and vice versa. But it was interesting to get that information about Sam writing the premise. And just thinking for a second, the idea of giving somebody a writing credit for an episode. Think about this. Someone could simply write out a a very one-two sentence outline of Spongebob and Patrick go camping, but they're actually just camping out in the backyard and Squidward joins them. If you just write that and a few other people take that premise and then expand on it through storyboards and other pieces of dialogue. Hey, you still had a a hand in helping to write that episode. Therefore, there's your writing credit. So, it's it's certainly interesting to know that when it comes to the writing credits of an episode, you know, it, you could just have uh, a small part, a big part, but you're just you're going to get that credit when that credit is deserved. So Jay himself didn't have any sort of uh, knowledge of Sam working on that specific episode. Sam uh, I, does have a Twitter account, and I reached out to him just to see if he had any sort of memories as far as working on the camping episode. But as of this recording, I haven't heard anything. Of course, if you keep listening to this show and I do get any sort of updates about that, I would love to present those to you as, as I'd want to get as much of this information out as possible. Wow, this is an actual first for the SquareCast. This is crazy. Um, this is a, a late addition right before I was uploading this episode. So I sent a tweet out to Sam Henderson to to get some information um, to see how much of the camping episode he remembers or what he had worked on. And this is a quote from Sam Henderson, who you can follow on Twitter, at Magic Whistle. Sam says, I only worked on it the first few days, I think. It was one I had the least to do with. Dan Pavenmeyer filled in and added the song. I arranged to take time off several months in advance, but then 9-11 happened, and there was no air travel, so I took the week off for nothing. Thank you, Sam, for getting back to me in, in due time about this. Um, hey, even though this is one that you only worked the first few days on, and that you had the least to do with. Uh, I'm sure whatever additions you helped bring to the table uh, helped bring this masterpiece to the to the screens of so many kids. So thank you, Sam, for your contributions on this episode. Uh, and thank you for getting back to me on Twitter. Back to the episode at hand. But yeah, that, that really is interesting. And when it comes to Jay and Dan working on this episode, I, they were the absolute mastercrafts Behind a lot of the jokes we see in this episode, and of course some of the music we hear in this episode, but in due time we'll get to that as the episode goes on. And let's just stop and pause right as this episode starts, because we might have my absolute favorite title card in the show's history. I haven't seen every single episode of Spongebob, and we will get there, so I'm sure by the end or once this podcast catches up, that might be an actual definitive thing I could say, but as of right now up to this point, I don't know if I can think of a title card that can match the camping episode. Beyond the episode that precedes this title card, just look at it. I, you have this this beautiful painting. It's like a, a painting you would expect to see at a Cabela's, or if you went to like uh, a hotel or a motel that was more in the wilderness and this was something they would have in their lobby. It's just an absolutely gorgeous painting that they didn't need to make. Like they didn't need to put in this extra effort for the camping episode, but maybe you do, if you are just going to call this the camping episode. And I think that's bold because it almost is like, well, we almost can never send these characters out camping again because anything is just going to fail in comparison to the actual camping episode. But I could gush about this this title card more than I really need to. So instead, I will absolutely gush about um, the art and coloring of Squidward's house uh, that immediately begins this episode. Just take a moment and pause the outside of Squidward's home. I adore the framing of the house here, and I especially love the coloring of the the window to indicate that Squidward obviously has a light on in the home. We we don't see this kind of uh setup for Squidward's house very often. Um and I'm I'm talking about just nighttime, a light on. And this might have been one of the first times, but just for some reason the the composition of this of this outside shot of his home has always I don't know, it's always been a bit of comfort for me when I see this. It just maybe it's just knowing that once again, we are watching one of the best episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants, and I know that uh you know, that may or may not make for good podcasting, but but trust me, there's actually a lot to come out of this, more more than you'd think. Uh, and while I'm recording, Jake the Rabbit here just biting his, uh, his cage and just staring at me. He wants me to keep playing the episode. I keep pausing it, but uh, clearly he's upset. First things first, we obviously know Squidward here has a cup of tea. He's prepared himself a cup of tea. He has a book. He's ready for a night in because it is officially the start of a weekend where Spongebob and Patrick are going out camping, and he is prepared for this. But I have to question, why is Squidward walking out of his bathroom with a steaming cup of tea? Now, I'm sure there are some of you out there that'll say, well, Captain, it's simple. Squidward made the tea before he realized he had to use the little squid's room, and on his way to to bed, he decided to take a detour to the bathroom, and and clearly just put the tea on the, on the counter while he used the bathroom and then went about his business. And to that, I say that's ridiculous. For Squidward to use the bathroom, he actually has to walk past his little nightstand, a nightstand in which he places his tea on anyway when he gets into bed. So, I don't know. It's just a little suspicious. Or maybe here's a, a different answer, completely different answer out of left field. Has anyone out there tried drinking tea while using the bathroom? I, I know that coffee can make uh, one very quickly after consumption need to use the, the bathroom or the loo or the, the head, wherever whatever you decide to call it, and you're part of the world. But does tea have the same effect for some people? And, and if so, maybe there's just a use in just drinking it while you're there anyway. And let's face it, Squidward is is used to taking extra long bathroom breaks at uh at the Krusty Krab, so I really wouldn't put it past him to start reading his book in the bathroom and then to just bring the teen there because why not? He's gonna be there for a while, so he's just he's gonna have his drink. But yeah, he is celebrating the start of the camping trip, the supposed camping trip of Spongebob and Patrick that he has had doodled on his calendar. A calendar of Dance Quarterly, which we know he is a subscriber of. So I wonder if the calendar is one of those like free gifts they give you if you become a subscriber to the magazine. Uh, but the uh, the May model is the dancer Bruno. It's it's such a weird little decision to have the on the calendar and at the same time, I absolutely love it. Just an extra little wrinkle to the character of Squidward and and the decisions of his decor, but yeah, on his calendar he made a little drawing of SpongeBob and Patrick camping out in the woods, and he's excited for it because it's a time for him to get away from all of their laughing, and for the possibility for them to get lost in the woods, which would would then make the uh, the vacation from them more permanent, and of course Squidward is is wishing this upon spongebob and patrick and and as he's about to start his spongebob and patrick free vacation he starts to hear the laughter of spongebob and patrick before he realizes that instead of camping out in the woods spongebob and patrick have decided to make camp in their front lawn uh, or their front sand I, i mean is it is it a lawn if it's all sand anyway i imagine so i don't know but yeah, their front yards, they have their tent and they have a, a roaring fire going, which we're just not going to question because the second we question it, it'll just go out. That is that is a provable fact. So you just ignore the fire, let it go. But yeah, Squidward is chastising SpongeBob and Patrick over this idea that camping out in your own yard is not necessarily camping. And I'm sure there are those out there who who agree with that sentiment, that it's it's cheap and it's lazy and it's it, it's too comfortable. But I mean, like, if we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty of, like, what is camping, uh, to each their own, I guess, it's going to be a subjective thought. But uh, uh, for me, if you're agreeing to sleep on the ground in a tent, uh, does it really matter how close or far you are from home? Uh, you know, if you sleep in a tent in your backyard and you sleep in a tent at a campground, I mean, at the end of the day, you're still sleeping in a tent outside. I don't know. For some people, it might let them feel a little bit more safer but still experience some level of camping. There are those out there that for camping to be camping, you have to go out into the woods and literally make ground, make your fire from scratch, build your area, make your tents, make camp. And uh, yeah, that's that's camping too. Uh, and There are those out there who, hey, for camping, you just need to go to a campground where you can either camp, set up a tent, or you can go in what they call glamping, which if you've never heard of this term, it is literally the combining of the word glamorous and camping because to go glamping, what you do is if you look up any, uh, any campground in your state or in your area, um, most likely on that campground they have trailers and campers and usually cabins that you can rent just like you would a motel room so instead of well you're you know you can rent the space as you would at a campground so uh, that's a closer example just like renting the campground but <laughs> instead of just renting the campground you are now renting a pre-made camper that's ready for you to use or hey if you want to spend some extra money you can rent a cabin that is usually on the campground as well and and still experience all of what it takes to be on a campground without staying on the ground or being in a tent. And usually people will look at you weird, but who cares, you're on vacation, it doesn't matter what their opinions are. But as for me, I've done all of the above. I have camped out in my backyard, I've camped out in the woods, I've camped out on the ground at a campground, I've been in a camper on a campground, I've been in a cabin on a campground. Um, for, my, for my first few times, uh, my parents brought me to a campground um, and it was just, hey, pitch your tent, here's your space. Enjoy. Bathrooms are over there. And it, actually, it's crazy because at this first campground, one of my core memories is that they had this uh, like common room for people to play games in and, and they had like a billiards table and they had a one arcade machine that was a, a light gun shooter. I forgot the exact game, but um, they had a pinball machine, which I think it was of the Twilight Zone one of the best pinball games of all time. And um, even though these games were in the common room, they weren't like turned on for free play. So you still had to have quarters to play them. But there was something weird about the pinball machine where um, for like six games straight, the the numbers at the end, like when you get that extra chance where if the, the numbers come up and they match, you get an extra game six games in a row. We kept getting matching numbers. And my friend and I just felt compelled who came camping with me. Uh, one of my friends, Alex, who, by the way, like all these neighborhood kids I had on, on the same street, I've had Alex featured on the show uh, back in season one. I had my friend Jordan, who was a few streets away from us. And John was actually on the same street as Alex and I. So so he was right involved in that friend group, too. Uh, so Alex came to those campgrounds with us uh, on multiple occasions uh, on the, on those first two ones, especially on the on the ground in a in a tent, and then on the next time when we got a cabin, and and once my parents went glamping, they never looked back. But uh, yeah, so we were at this pinball machine, and it, we kept getting matching numbers, so we just felt compelled to keep playing it. And the TV in the room, somebody changed it to Nickelodeon, and uh, Band Geeks played, and there were a bunch of people there who had never seen that episode, and I got to. I got to actually like witness people seeing it for the first time. And between that and this pinball machine, which eventually gave us unmatching numbers and then, you know, wouldn't let us play for free anymore. Uh, but yeah, it's a weird little core memory like that. Once again, I didn't plan on on remembering that moment or that time, but I do. But yeah, those first few times at this campground, we spent in a tent, and then the the third time was a cabin. Same exact campground. Um, but from that moment on, that was our last time. The third time in this cabin was our last time at this one campground, because for the next 10 years or so, the only campground that my parents would ever go to, and it wasn't a yearly thing. It was almost every other year where there would be a week at a, at a campground, but the chain of Jellystone Park campgrounds, I don't know how many there are in the country, but. There's at least two different ones within driving distance of New England, and uh, we've gone to to both of them, and I love those. I'm a sucker for for Yogi Bear and the partnership with the Hanna-Barbera brand. It's, it's absolutely wonderful, and just to say that you've gone to Jellystone Park is pretty cool. Uh, when we would go to those, they were straight-up just cabins. Like I said, the second my parents went glamping, there was no turning back. Luckily... I did have other friends who attended other campgrounds. So there'd be summers where I would go, you know, stay here for a few days or stay there. And I would either be in a tent or then be in a cabin or be in a, in a camper. So I, I've experienced it all. If you've never gone camping, even if it is just your backyard or your front yard, there is an experience to being in a tent and, and being with friends and just enjoying each other's company outside in a new, exciting way. And uh, one last core memory for you here, which which is, it's crazy. One of my my top five core memories of my life involve camping out in my backyard. But there was a, an end-of-summer event that my, my best friend Alex and I had put together, which also involved his two brothers, which were only about like two to four years apart between all three of them. So we were all pretty close in age and got along well. But there was a night where we had set up a tent in our backyard and attached an extension cord to my garage and had that running into the tent. We had set up a really, you know, flimsy plastic uh, table that was meant to go with, with outside chairs. And in the corner of the tent, we had that set up. And on top of that, we had a decently sized television, which... At the time, like, the only thing in my life that I will ever be old man-ish about in terms of, like, back in my day are, are literally the televisions. Like, there's just no comparison between the televisions that I grew up with and the televisions we have now. It's like, what a level of ease that you guys have when it comes to TVs. But we had this CRT television on top of this table, and right under the table we had a Nintendo GameCube. And... From 6pm at night till 6am in the morning, we did not sleep an ounce throughout that entire night and played almost every GameCube game I owned at the time, um, including Animal Crossing for the GameCube, which is my my absolute favorite version of Animal Crossing. It's not going to have the same level of customability as current day Animal Crossing, but there's there's just a level of charm with that game that hasn't been replicated Um, One of the moments of that game that you can only find if you play it very early on in the morning because it it is real time-based is meeting the ghost Wisp who then, you know, if you help him do something he then helps your town in some way or gives you a gift. And I had never got to experience Wisp before and and we we all did this on this one night, this one camping adventure in our backyard. And it's a moment that, like I said, it's a top five core memory. That night, playing the GameCube on that little television in that tent, the four of us not getting an ounce of sleep. I even think the next day, John came by to to see the setup and, and continue to play GameCube games outside because it was just such a rarity to happen. But uh, it's a moment I will never forget. And it just adds to the fact that when I see episodes like this, it just brings back so many good memories of camping, any of the activities that come along with it, and the people that you spent that time with. Which is very much in line with what we see in this episode. There there is a level of excitement from Spongebob and Patrick when they find out that Squidward is going to join them in this in this adventure. You know, they don't they don't know that they're probably creating a core memory themselves. Um, now, when Squidward finds out that Spongebob and Patrick are camping out in the front, he obviously couldn't just move on with his night and continue to read his book. He, he had to actually go outside and interject his frustration at Spongebob and Patrick at their choice of camping. To Squidward, you pitch a tent in your front yard, it's not camping. There's too much of a comfort level to it. Um, to Spongebob and Patrick, they're on the opposite end. Camping is camping. I don't agree with that. I mean, come on, you're still putting yourself in somewhat of an uncomfortable situation. And yes, you are close to home. But think about this. that That's even crazier. You have your bed right inside of your house, your comfy bed, the warmth of a blanket, and you're choosing to go sleep out in a, in a sleeping bag, out in a tent on purpose. Who's going to give you grief over that? Le- leave those people be. But here's the thing with Squidward, he always finds himself in these situations and it's usually because of his emotion that he ends up making situations for himself even worse when that's obviously not his intentions. But for this kind of situation, it's its something that I, uh, man, if I ever really needed to feel like Squidward, it was upon re-watching this episode um the whole plot takes off in the fact that Squidward chastises SpongeBob over his choice of of camping location and once he, you know, says his piece and is going to move on with his night, SpongeBob just says the phrase, "Okay, have fun inside." That sets something off in Squidward. It ticks him off because in that just that one simple phrase, "Have fun inside," the kind of person he is. And I got to say, I like, I, I feel this. I kind of understand this in a way. I, I don't know what that says about the captain here, but, um, Squidward's inflection is that he, he takes that as a, as a jab. Like what you're saying that because I can't, I can't handle the outside world. You can't think I can't even camp out in my front yard. And, uh, he, like he comes back like offended, that SpongeBob would say "Have fun inside," like that, as if it was some sort of reverse psychology into somehow getting Squidward to go outside and camp with them, as if he couldn't handle it. Like SpongeBob and Patrick don't think he could camp, and it's like, okay, Squidward, who like, okay, man, you're good, but I, the whole idea of uh, of hearing a phrase like that and then just filling in the blanks in your head—I've I've been in those situations. I I have certainly. I have taken offense to things in my life that I shouldn't have in the moment. You know, I I think in in certain situations when you lay your, your thought process out some people can understand, uh, and certainly other ways, some people don't. They're like, man, you really jumped to conclusions there, huh? But uh, I, I feel for Squidward in this situation. There there was an air of, of snobbiness in the way SpongeBob said it, like, have fun inside. I, I can kind of see where Squidward was coming from, but then at the same time, I'm like, you're digging your own hole here. You say you don't want to go camping, and you say that you don't want to get caught up in all this reverse psychology, but then you, you let it... Happen anyway, which I, I guess is classic Squidward But Squidward runs into his house And comes out with an impressive level of camping gear Ready to go, like he has the, the massive backpack The, the sleeping bag uh, How you would expect somebody to go Actually walking out into the woods to go camping The fact that Squidward not only has this gear And that it's ready to go At least tells me that the, the man has, has gone camping At some point, or based on the fact that he didn't really even get his remote-controlled tent to work. Maybe he bought this stuff with the intention to eventually go camping, but then had never had the opportunity. Squidward seems like the kind of guy who would who would certainly buy something with the intention of using it once or like, oh, that'll be good to have just in case. That looks really cool and uh, and then just buys it or just to make himself look good to people like, oh yeah, I own camping gear, I go camping all the time, and it's just, it's a facade. I, I would expect Squidward to have a facade like that because he just doesn't seem like the guy to just go out camping, but he he impressively does still have the equipment ready to go. Um, as mentioned before, he had a uh, remote-controlled tent that I guess would, would pitch itself automatically, uh, a tent, pitching a tent, giggity- And, of course, the tent idea just fails miserably anyway, and Squidward just decides to go with this idea of just sleeping out under the stars. Now, that is something I can't really think back on to say that I've done. Like, I have slept outside, but it's been in a tent. Um, I think the closest may be in a a more open, tented area, where it's, like, not necessarily a, a gazebo or maybe one of those kind of, uh, like, build-your-own type gazebos. I mean, that's still, you know, in a covered space, so I literally have never slept just in a sleeping bag under the stars. I don't know how many out there have done that, but if if you can recommend it to me, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm not going to go with Squidward's idea here simply because it was a, a fail-safe when his tent couldn't be pitched. Giggity! But once we get the, the camp out of the way, once the three have, have made camp, it's now... Onto the camp activities, which if you can think of what is like the one activity that you do when you go camping, I, I think unanimously most people would agree that it is the making of s'mores. S'more what? No, 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 you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? Shut up! You're killing me, Smalls. Probably my, my favorite tradition of camping, which if, if you've ever seen pictures of me that that is a very obvious fact about the captain i am no i'm no stranger to the to the smore and uh the requirement of smore of smores once you've started and uh yeah a lot of this uh, a lot of this weight here definitely was attributed to smores as a child i don't i don't have them as often now as an adult it's like the the level of effort to go through is a lot. You know, if you get a good group with a fire, of course it's good to get all those supplies. But as a, as an individual, I don't go out and like, Hey, I'm going to get a box of graham crackers and some chocolates and some marshmallows. I totally could. I have the car and the money. I am just not going to do it. But, uh, but yeah, as a kid, like s'mores were my absolute favorite thing to do. But I don't know if anyone out there has ever gone on to s'more TikTok. but the, uh, the ideas out there that people have for variations on the on the s'more concept of marshmallows and some sort of chocolate and and I cannot implore you that that is a hole worth going down the the s'more hole the s'more hole of TikTok. I don't know if that's appropriate to say or not, but but seriously, look some of this stuff up. The ideas are mind blowing. They'll definitely change your opinion on on what you're purchasing for your next fire. But yeah, they, they get the fire going and it's really adorable. This little scene we get of SpongeBob and Patrick pretending to be astronauts playing with marshmallows and the the simple visual look of SpongeBob, Patrick and Squidward sitting around this fire with marshmallows. It, there's something comforting about it. the The act itself in real life is really comforting to me. Being at a fire, having marshmallows with friends, making s'mores. Once again, maybe it's just the feels that this episode elicits, but then seeing it happen right in front of me, it's it's a whole other ball game. Um, we go through this whole sequence of of the s'mores just being a disaster, and of course, all the burnt marshmallow getting sprayed on Squidward's face. And it's time to now move on to our next camping activity because, of course, you couldn't have a campfire without somebody bringing a uh, an acoustic guitar. A joke that would would later on get brought up in the movie role models. Um, I think Paul Rudd makes reference of like, oh God, there's like every 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 campfire has a guy bringing out a, an acoustic guitar. and here's SpongeBob bringing out an acoustic guitar, but here's the difference. SpongeBob is not just singing any old classic campfire song. He is in fact singing the campfire song song because it is probably one of the most classic SpongeBob songs in the show's history and one of the most singable right behind the show's intro theme. I I mean, I don't think you could get a a crowd to easily sing a more notable SpongeBob song than the theme song, other than the Campfire Song song. The song was written by Dan Pommeier and Jay Lender with writing credits also given to Michael Koolross Jr., Michael Walker, and Carl Williams. Um, the the song is notable for also appearing in the Family Guy episode Road to Rupert, which uh, Dan Povenmire, who wrote the song, was also a director on that Family Guy episode, which then, you know, gives the idea on, on how he was able to get clearance for this song to appear in that episode. Um, Spongebob isn't really made fun of in this sequence, and it's just a nice little moment of, of Peter Watching spongebob and we get to see spongebob and patrick and the family guy animation looking like themselves Which is still really cool and then hearing them singing the uh, the campfire song song Uh, According to jay lender on twitter in the original version of the song there was originally a second bum 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 Which would have caused squidward's brain to uh, pop out of his head, but that uh, that gag was cut for time Another note about this song from Dan Povenmire in a 2020 TikTok video, he revealed that in the original version of this song he wrote that instead of Patrick trying to keep up with singing with SpongeBob of the campfire song song, he would instead be saying letters 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 as SpongeBob is just pointing to to the words on the on the page there and it was Jay Lender who suggested to Dan that uh, that you know he changed it to where Patrick is just trying to to keep up and and Dan later admitted that Jay was absolutely right about this and he thought it was funnier that way so little insight to the writing of the the song here which is just an absolute classic uh, you you can't get more classic of a SpongeBob song than this um, I can't think of another song like even as popular as Sweet Victory is I can't think of another SpongeBob song that kids at the time would sing in school or that you could get other kids to sing it was like the theme song and the campfire song song Uh, there were so many times in middle school and high school where this was brought up and people would just sing it it would bring smiles and everybody loves this i it's to me the quintessential campfire song and uh and i can't thank all those involved in in its creation for it um, I mean because right as this moment happens, as as I'm sitting here in my office, I've I've posted an older picture on both Twitter and Instagram featuring this um, three panel art piece I did on canvas of of this moment in the episode. Uh, there's a scene right before SpongeBob sings where you you see Squidward, Patrick, and SpongeBob, who is sitting on this log, sitting in front of the fire. SpongeBob has the guitar out. And I took three different canvases and, and captured this moment um, so that the three of these, when they hang on a wall, captures this scene. It's, it's probably one of my favorite art pieces that I've ever done. And I, I can't tell you where the inspiration came from other than my love for this episode, but I finished this art piece within like two days. Um, I'll post more high-quality pictures on, on both social medias for anybody listening to this to check them out later. Um, but yeah, it was made with, of course, starting out with pencil, then eventually uh, Sharpie marker, then going on to alcohol marker, and then going on to spray paint, which then is just the crescendo of the entire piece. Um, one of my favorite art pieces, and it was one of, when I moved into this office, it was one of the first things I I had to figure out. Where am I gonna hang this up? Um, before it's its place in my office here, it was actually in the kitchen of my previous home. It just kind of fit with the color scheme of that kitchen. but uh, I can't express my love of this song and its sequence and its place in this episode enough. i, I There's just something about it. I, I don't know what it is. It's just uh it's a very comforting sequence here. And I, I don't know if any campfire feels the same if this song isn't played, but if you're going to bring out an acoustic guitar around the captain at a campfire, you better have this uh, this banger in your repertoire. Right after we, we get this moment of the campfire song song, we move on to the second kind of half of this episode. Because up to this point, we have our characters camping, we've involved them in some camping activities, but... Where's the real meat and potatoes of this episode? What's really going on here? And it's what happens when Squidward decides, well, it's his time to play some music around the campfire. Pulls out his clarinet and starts playing it pretty badly, which is is par the course for uh, for poor Squidward here. But SpongeBob desperately has to stop Squidward and shoots a marshmallow right through the clarinet, right through this wood instrument right down to the windpipe of Squidward uh, to stop him from playing the clarinet because as he warns Squidward that apparently playing the clarinet badly is one of the big ways to attract a sea bear. That's right. I mean, you, you've heard of sea lions and you've heard of seahorses, but you gotta watch out for the sea bear. And not only is playing the clarinet badly one sign of attracting a sea bear, there's in fact multiple signs of attracting a sea bear that our friends Spongebob and Patrick have learned from Fake Science Monthly, a magazine that in 2022 doesn't seem that far-fetched as something you would see on the newsstand that, that people would buy and, and listen to. Like The magazine could call itself fake and be open about it, but you would still have people believing in whatever they write in that magazine. I, I mean, come on, it's 2022 and there are still people out there who get fooled by The Onion. Like, The Onion being satirical should be as a fact for most internet users as Google being a, a search engine. Like, the fact that that's a, a piece of knowledge most people know, it should be hand-in-hand hand at this point. And I honestly wouldn't put it past people to pick up an actual magazine called Fake Science Monthly, and just believe in whatever is written in it. Now another magazine that is brought up in this episode is the Bikini Bottom Inquirer, which is a play on the National Inquirer, which if you've never seen this magazine, is this newspaper, it's a it's a sight to behold. They're well known for featuring cover stories of like really outlandish situations that they're presenting to you as fact and I'm I'm not sure if they've ever had a cover story come out to be true. I'm I'm sure there are those of you out there who who might let me know that like, hey, you know, that celebrity did turn out to be an alien or or they did turn out to be a Mothman. But the National Enquirer is known for that kind of news. Now, there used to be more of these kind of newspapers in the past that would feature those really outlandish headlines of like so-and-so is an alien, so-and-so is a Mothman. Um, now these days it's it's more Uh, tabloidy like like celebrity kind of news that that seems really out there but more realistic like more grounded so that they have at least somewhat of an attempt to get your money Um, but the bikini bottom inquirer is very much like the classic inquirers that I remember seeing as a kid of just stories like aliens partying in Las Vegas and, and exclusive photos but uh, apparently, someone in bikini bottom is talking about their apparent marriage to a sea bear and being open about it. Now, we do get confirmation that sea bears exist. Uh, so somebody out there could be telling the truth on their on their marriage to this creature. But apparently, other than playing the clarinet badly, a few other known ways to attract a sea bear are waving a flashlight back and forth really fast stomping on the ground, eating cubed cheese, which I, I wonder how they were able to find out about that uh, fact when it comes to sea bears, because it, it seems to be a, a true fact. Uh, wearing a sombrero in a goofy fashion, uh, wearing a hoop skirt, wearing clown shoes, and screeching like a chimpanzee. These are apparently all things for you to do to attract a sea bear. Um hey, that's not that bad of a list. That seems like a a pretty doable list. In fact, Squidward is such a uh, a not only a stubborn guy, but he also he he loves messing with SpongeBob and Patrick in these ways. Like at first he acts like he's very concerned about the possibility of a sea bear and is and is taking it seriously and is asking SpongeBob and Patrick like, "Oh my god, guys. Well, well, if the clarinet attracts him, what else could? And and is trying to get as much of this information out just so that he can turn around and then literally do everything at once that attracts a sea bear, which includes wearing that, that hoop skirt, wearing those clown shoes, uh, bringing out some cubed cheese, wearing that sombrero in a goofy fashion, which apparently means wearing it upside down which we we get some confirmation from the, the actual sea bear himself that that is, in fact, the true goofy fashion of the sombrero, um, and waving the flashlight back and forth really fast. Squidward immediately takes that checklist to heart and just goes to town attracting a sea bear, which is obviously what we end up getting in this episode. We get confirmation of the sea bear's existence and the fact that apparently Fake Science Monthly got something right. Not only on everything that attracts a sea bear, but how to defend against a sea bear because here's a piece of crucial information for you to write down. If you ever find yourself in a situation where a sea bear could attack you, you simply have to draw an anti sea bear circle. Just draw a circle in the sand around you. It has to be a perfect circle. It can't be an oval. Don't mess this up. It is crucial business. But just draw that circle around you, and it apparently stops a sea bear attack. Now, Squidward, of course, gets immediately mauled by this sea bear over all of his transgressions. And we inevitably find out that sea bears not only hate all of those other things that attract them, but they also hate the act of running. They hate even more the act of limping. Um, I don't know if they hate it more than limping, but they also hate crawling, and honestly, if a sea bear really just doesn't like you, they might just attack you even more. But the attack process of a sea bear is very like, like I imagine if an actual bear was attacking you, it wouldn't just come at you, swipe once or twice, maybe three times, and then and then run away to just come back again. Like the sea bear beats up squidward a certain amount of times and then just swims away from him. So I, I certainly can't see. Many other similarities between real bears and sea bears, but the sea bears definitely have some very specific temperaments to them. Um, Now, SpongeBob and Patrick try to warn Squidward of of drawing a sea bear circle. It's the only way to stop a sea bear attack. That's where we learn on the fact that... uh, you, you can't draw ovals. They, those are not going to work against the sea bear. But eventually Squidward does the smart idea as he always should. And he just follows SpongeBob and Patrick and just joins them in their anti-sea bear circle, which surprisingly works. And we get one of my favorite non-dialogue SpongeBob jokes here in which the sea bear, when he walks up or when he swims up to the uh, to the circle, he... he stops himself before getting to Spongebob, Patrick, and Squidward, looks down, notices the circle, and then angrily looks back at Squidward and and points at him, like, I'm watching you, like, (laughs) this is your warning. I don't know, there's something about that point that makes me laugh every time I see it. And the sea bear swims away. We are now free of the sea bear. Now, the next thing we learn, it's, it's pretty much the last gag of the show here, but we learn that... We are extremely lucky that it was just a sea bear attack and not a sea rhinoceros attack because a sea rhinoceros would be 10 times worse. And unfortunately for Squidward, it's the attack of a sea bear that attracts a sea rhinoceros. Now, luckily for SpongeBob and Patrick, they're wearing their anti-sea rhinoceros underwear, which, of course, we all can expect Squidward to not have a pair of those around at all and is, and is definitely not wearing them at this moment in time. And, and we get to see probably one of the most uh, dangerous looking creatures I've ever seen in this show up to this point. But the sea rhinoceros makes an appearance angrily staring Squidward down as he realizes that he's in some, some trouble and that's how we end this episode. I it's a weird way to, to go about the camping episode to go from these camping activities to then this animal attack, but, you know, that's a real possible danger when you go camping in the woods and with all of this talk of Squidward, you know, making fun of Spongebob and Patrick for taking it safe, it's funny that this camping experience in the front yard ends up blowing up in his face with an actual animal attack. I don't necessarily want to say I like seeing Squidward get hurt in this way, you know, when he when he really doesn't deserve it, but I'm not going to deny that the consistent attacks by the sea bear and the specific uh, things that the sea bear doesn't like, like that makes me laugh. That is well-deserved. If, if Squidward Squidward was given the information as to not get attacked by the sea bear and he decided to egg him on anyway. So that's on him. Um, and that is the camping episode for, for the square cast. I can't gush about this episode enough. It, it brings up wonderful memories of of camping, glamping. Um, now since we're done with this episode and I can I can just talk for a moment, I imagine those of you listening up to this point would still listen to this next part but no camping experience I've had can can really top like in terms of location and, and where you're going and what you're doing could could top what is known in my family as the camp. Now, up in Vermont, I have uh, some family, some cousins. My grandfather had a load of siblings up there, and all of them, you know, got married, had kids. So we have a, a pretty extensive family all throughout New England. And in Vermont, my grandfather's family had built this cabin, not just in the woods, but on this mountain. And you literally have to drive through like 30 minutes of of dirt roads that progressively get worse and worse and worse. Like you go from a, a paved road to a road that hasn't been paved in like 10 years to a road that hasn't ever seen pavement before and is just rocks to then just dirt. But enough people have driven along it that it, you can still see the path go through the woods. But you literally drive through the woods. And I, I hope to one day I'll get a video for you guys because I, I want you to experience this. There's not a, a level of... Of dialogue I could give you that'll properly explain this but you're literally driving through woods on a dirt path woods on your left woods on your right as, as deep as you can see and and then you can see this clearing come up you see sunlight like oh there's there's an opening here and when you pull out of the the woods you just see this clearing in this mountain where um, it may be like an acre or two where they have apple trees and and right up to the road there is this cabin and my uh, my grandfather's family built that place when when they were younger. And it was not only a great space for everybody to get together and, and be around one another and, you know, have entertainment, play instruments, play board games. But it also became a place for my grandfather and his friends whenever they would go fishing and hunting, um, they would they would stay at this cabin now through other families getting involved, the the camp as we called it, and became like out of all of my vacations in my life throughout my childhood, that was up until the day we lost it, uh, a yearly experience. But yeah, uh, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, my grandfather called up my mom and um, through those other families that had gotten involved, they just, you know, then eventually decided they wanted to sell the place. And my grandfather wasn't really in a position to say no, and, and eventually this this wonderful location, the property, the home, and the beauty that came along with it was now just gone from our family. And um, and unfortunately, it was a really big hit to both my mom and I, because, I mean, that was, a like I said, a yearly experience for us to go up there, and it, it felt like home. And in fact, you would think, man, Captain, you went off on another tangent here and it has nothing to do with Spongebob. Um, Being at this cabin was actually the one and only time I ever had an experience with a live bear out in the wilderness. I didn't get attacked or anything, obviously. It wasn't the revenant, but but walking through the woods on the dirt road and just coming almost face-to-face with a bear almost like 25 feet away in the woods just looking at you. And you just have this moment of instant fear of like, do I run? What do I do? Your mind is just racing. I was with my mom and my cousin, and and we just looked, and and yeah, there was nothing else that happened. The bear probably just went along its business. But, um, man, it just the level of experiences that come from the thought of the camp. As of today, though, there there is actually a a. Silver lining to this gray cloud I brought up. I'm obviously not going to bring up just a downy here of, of this wonderful location that my family ended up losing on. But after my grandfather and those other families sold the camp, it went on to another family or two before landing in the hands of its current owners, Jerry and Flower, who are an absolutely wonderful couple. They're some of my favorite people. On this planet and I don't talk to them very often but knowing who they are and what they've not only done to the place the area surrounding it but also what they've done for my family Um, knowing the history of my my grandfather and his family up there at that location when my grandfather passed they not only let us spread his ashes up on the property but they ended up building a little memorial bench in his honor right near that spot and it, it's little things like that that just like hey if I can't be a part of that property and and go there and know that it's it's a part of my family if there could be other people experiencing that place and thriving in it it's it's a couple like Jerry and Flower so if you're out there and you ever listen to this Jerry and Flower uh, this is a nice shout out to you thank you so much I love you guys um, and and that place means a ton to me and it's like once again. That's just another camping related Memory that just sprouts up from this one episode now you may not have camping related memories uh, In your own life, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a spongebob episode out there that might elicit some strong Feelings of nostalgia that you have of something you did in your life, and that's what's beautiful about an episode like this for you know for me specifically of course it brings up a lot of camping related memories and memories associated with other people uh but i'm sure if it's not the camping episode if you're a spongebob fan out there i'm sure you have an episode that there's something that the characters do or they say that immediately elicits emotions from from your past or brings up memories of what you've done those are always nice to have. And it's it's really nice to be able to create memories with those around us. Um, we have a short amount of time on this planet. And it's, it's really nice to be able to spend that time with others to create moments that you might not know in the moment it's happening. But you're creating moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, what I would implore you to do... If you're still listening to this episode, um, I want you to find a friend that means a lot to you. Even if it's a friend or someone you just haven't spoken to with in a long time, it is completely okay to to lose track in life. But I want you to reach out to a friend for me and just tell them that you love them. Tell them what they mean to you. Even if it is someone that you had two or three years of a connection with in your life and that was it, that's still a strong amount of time to, to have a connection with for somebody. And I really think it's important for us to to hear more of those moments that we mattered in each other's lives now than than when it's too late to be able to tell someone. So it really doesn't take much to, to let somebody know what they meant to you. And, um, and given some of the recent events in this world, I, I don't think that time would be wasted in that in that action. It is now time to reach into the snail mailbag and read us a question that was sent in from a listener of the show. If you would like to send in a question to Captain Eric, you can at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. This one comes in from a longtime Ready Crew member, uh, one of my favorite members of the Ready Crew, someone who would probably at this point have his own little title a part of the crew but uh, I implore you please go follow this individual on YouTube just go search the name crispy boy sent in a question for the captain and it reads good afternoon captain I just picked up the Patrick star show on DVD and I'm finally excited to watch it my question for you is do you have any opinions on the Spongebob side shows do you think it's a good idea to make all these spin-off shows thank you and love being a part of the Ready Crew Crispy. All the all the pleasure is mine of having you aboard. But to answer your question, um I do have opinions on the sideshows. Uh some of them are certainly stronger than others. Uh, but I, I wanna give you my my base opinion as far as spin-offs in general and the future of this franchise. Um SpongeBob at this point is our modern day Mickey Mouse. Um, Mickey and Bugs Bunny behind them are cultural icons. They're animation icons that are known the world over. and and after those two characters, there's only a, a small amount of other characters that I would say are just as world renowned as Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. And other characters like that are the Simpsons and SpongeBob Squarepants. SpongeBob, even more so being just an absolute juggernaut. When it comes to merchandise, which I, I have to imagine at this point has possibly even surpassed the Looney Tunes in terms of revenue. Just in twenty years of SpongeBob merchandise over the decades we've had of the Looney Tunes, maybe, maybe I'm I'm far off on that. But either way, SpongeBob has has made a ton in his time on the air. Um when you create a character like that, and you're on that level of of popularity and you've ascended to a level where you're just an icon, you're going to be around for a long time. And and with that and beyond any of our lives, there is just going to be more Spongebob content. There's going to be future spin-off shows. And I know that for a lot of us and for even members of the actual crew out there of Spongebob Squarepants, you hear that and it's it's just a big pile of negative. You you go back to maybe things Stephen Hillenberg has said in the past and, and we've clung to those. And you know what? I, I can only be honest with you of my own opinions, but if I ever create something, and I've said this before on the podcast, so if I'm just beating a dead horse or if you've heard this before and, and you've heard it enough, I apologize. But if I were to create something that you would, then tell me on on my last day on earth that you know this this character or this property is still going to find ways to entertain people a hundred years from now. You know, there is certainly a negative, cynical end that you can find to that that statement of of people continually trying to profit off of your work. But on the other hand, on the entertainment side of things, you know, I I would find solace in that. I would find comfort because all I want to do here on this planet is entertain people um and and not make people feel like I do on some days. That's that's my goal as as Captain Eric here. So, given that that's that's my opinion on as far as like how do we deal with just this idea that SpongeBob is just going to keep being made in the future through various spinoffs. Um, as far as the specifics are concerned, I I really dig the Patrick Star show in its concept of introducing different and wildly unique animation styles to the SpongeBob world, um, giving it a unique edge that we wouldn't necessarily have on the original SpongeBob show. Um, so since it's trying to do something different and unique, I'm really cool with that. I know it's not anger and fire and and just I want to burn the place to the ground because I can't stand spin-offs. I know it's not that level. Um, I I just have a mellow head about this. I I see the amount of different Mickey Mouse cartoons that are being made, and even something like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Look how much that's entertained a whole generation of kids. Like, do you think Walt Disney? Would would just be like no, they they're only allowed to watch Steamboat Willie and the stuff I did. Like no, nah, he's he probably if he was alive right now would would be stoked to know that Mickey Mouse is still finding new ways to entertain kids and new art styles that look wildly different from one another, but it's still at its core Mickey Mouse. And you know, I know SpongeBob is not at the epicenter of a of a massive theme park and at this entertainment company, but. I mean, you know what? He's he's a couple of, a couple of steps behind Mickey in that regard. He could have a massive following in theme parks, and SpongeBob is that kind of character. So, you know, a hundred years from now, there's probably going to be uh, a SpongeBob cartoon spinoff that looks like the that current Mickey Mouse style that they have for the shorts. And and you know what? I watch those, and there's. I love those original Mickey shorts, but then there's something entertaining about these new ones. So thinking of SpongeBob in that regard, I don't know, it's kind of exciting. Nothing is ever going to replace these original three seasons and that original movie. These will always be here, and these will always be the gold standard of the show. I know people, you know, modern fans hate hearing that or just this, this love, but you don't get to modern SpongeBob without a solid base to build off of. And the entirety of this show was built on these first three seasons and that first movie. And it is a base so solid that 20 years later, with the amount of merchandise and extra additions to the SpongeBob world, including all of these extra spin-offs, none of it has been able to topple the popularity of SpongeBob SquarePants because when it comes right down to it, the memes and jokes and quotes from those first three seasons and the love that those episodes still bring to this day is strong enough that it'll hold the franchise for the next decade, two decades, three decades, a hundred years from now. And they'll be treasured and remembered just as they are to this day. So um, I'm not saying like let's bring more spinoffs I'm just saying I'm I'm here for the ride. You know, if if you give me something bad, I'll say it's bad. If it's good, it's good. But I'm here for the ride. I I don't want to see so many being juggled at once because I I've seen that with other shows before and it's just not as fun, you know. I would rather them eventually end the SpongeBob show proper and then if they want to do something wild and unique, then kind of build off of it. Patrick Star show Airing at the same time as the original is is one thing. Camp Coral is is a bit more egregious in that regard, since it just it almost feels like it's double dipping. You know, like the Patrick Star show can have very unique premises and episodes and animation styles, and it doesn't feel like it's retreading SpongeBob material. Whereas Camp Coral, because it's just kind of featuring the characters as younger versions of themselves, like it inadvertently is recycling spongebob material so i i would say that like should have probably been saved to after spongebob was done before they were like all right hey let's try a 3d show now but uh you know what they needed extra content for paramount plus and if it's a if it continues to be a streaming exclusive or if they do more spin-offs as streaming exclusives to bolster that service that becomes a little bit more understandable for me but crispy Thank you for your support. Thank you for reaching out uh, this week during the uh, the events. I really appreciate you as a fan, and, and each and every one of you, even if I don't know your names and I can't shout you out, if you listen to Captain Eric and any of the stuff I put out, I truly love you, I appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. If you would like to write in questions, again, spongepodpodpodcast sponge pod at gmail.com. I would love to read out more of your comments and questions. That is going to be it for this episode of the Squarecast. You can message me at the aforementioned email, but you can also find me on Twitter at i'm ready podcast twitter i'm on there daily i'm interacting with you guys come by and say hi you can also follow me on instagram at spongebob podcast and you can also purchase new and updated captain eric merch in the red bubble link below uh, as always if there is ever any money that comes in through my projects that money goes directly Back into my projects because I want to keep this boat going, this boat moving forward, and I appreciate each and every one of you who listen on a weekly basis. That is this week for the Squarecast. Please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Uh, nah, wasn't that relaxing? No! Uh,